It's November 12th, 2020. This is Rook. Well, his story is one of unabated ambition. He has been driven since he was a kid in Iran and has parlayed that drive into a massively successful business career. Iranian-Canadian marketing guru Ramin Mescarlu came west at an early age and promptly became a champion junior wrestler. Then, by the age of 17, he'd already started his own pizza selling operation. Now, after 30 years in direct sales, Ramin has built four multi-million dollar businesses serving clients in countries around the world. He shares his trade secrets in his popular marketing seminars and training sessions. And Ramin Mescarlu joins me to share those perspectives with us today. I'm Gian Gameshi. This is Rook. there welcome to episode number 61 of rook hope you're in good spirits omidvar hastam kishado shangul bashin we are uh Thank you, Captain Reza. Mm, you I like, like that, that one, huh? Like that. We're, we're, we're on our ongoing mission to build a new uh, audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. We are coming to you on Spotify, SoundCloud, Instagram, YouTube, iTunes, and The Telegram. Uh, which which uh, Reza is uh, Captain Reza <laughs> is, is is in Farsi and English. That's right. Uh, so a, the savvy Roham translates a lot of the stuff into Farsi for yeah. uh, savvy Sibyl Roham, savvy the, uh, the the mustache man. He uh, translates a lot of stuff. So if you if your desire, we want to please you out there. If your desire is to um, consume your Rook content in both Farsi and English. Telegram is the place at Rook Media is the place to find us there. Um, of course, I don't quite understand, Captain Reza, why Roham, mm-hmm. uh, by which I mean Savvy Roham, Savvy Sibyl. has to be the one translating. You're supposedly, you came from yeah. Iran, I don't know, yeah. you were like 35 years old when you came from Iran. <laughs> 40, 40. I was, I was, I was and you still, And why is it that you can't to translate? No, some of this I stuff? could. It's not that I can't, but uh-huh. my grammar in Farsi and my. It's like uh, your grammar spelling. in English. Yeah. Rez is more of a gangster. He likes, he has That's the. Right. We had to outsource this to Sibyl Rohan. Yeah. Like, but it was funny because I, tra- I tried to translate like the, the latest comment that we wrote about like when our, our, our last episodes and stuff. And then Rohan was like, I corrected it because you spelt Hozur, which means attendance. Is uh, it, like incorrectly, and I was like, oh, "Okay, there you go." Yeah. And then I that, have yeah. a question because uh, in one of our rock minutes, mm-hmm. diaspora translated to kuchneshin, <laughs> which I think it's not true actually. Mm. I need Mona from Melbourne, our new <laughs> wordsmith expert, to uh, she's yeah. but she's only with us on Mondays to explain. So kuchneshin is what? Um, kuchneshin is like more the 
kind of nomad person, you know. That's not diaspora at all. Yeah, the no. diaspora is global community outside of the outside of country of origin. origin. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Anyway, you can link to all of our platforms uh, with immaculate grammar, uh, with the help of the likes of Savvy Roham. Uh, uh, at our hub of all things Rook, which is our website, rookmedia.com, rookmedia.com. You go there, and there, there, all the little icons are there for you to choose which platform you want to consume Rook on. Uh, Ramin Mescarlu is joining me in, in studio here in, in a few minutes. Uh, this is something very different for us. You know, we've had a lot of cultural and artsy and political and academic folks on our show. This is actually a business person, <laughs> which is a big part of what Iranians do and who Iranians are or purport to be in the diaspora, in the Kuchneshin. Uh, and uh, Ramin is, uh, did I say that right? Yes. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't mean it the <laughs> same not. thing. But I said it. Ramin is um, he. So he's this massively successful businessman and, and marketing champion. He also does the the motivational speaking, the sort of Tony Robbins. I don't know if that's an insult to him. He's his own man. He doesn't need to be Tony Robbins. That that idea. Uh, and uh, he says you've got to be a mental warrior now. I'm not someone who necessarily subscribes to these marketing seminars and things like that or inspirational talks as much as I appreciate them. So I want to ask him about this. What is what is it exactly what does mental warrior mean? You know, how do you inspire people? How do you see business? I mean, he's clearly found success at what he does, but uh, I need to ask some questions about this. So Ramin Mascarlu joining us. Also, one of his main companies is called Opulence Global, which is actually my nickname for you, Keon. <laughs> The fabulous Keon, a.k.a. Opulence Global. <laughs> Am I an opulent person? Well, aren't you? Uh, I can't answer. Raza, what do you think? I think you're pretty opulent. I bet uh, I'm not as opulent you, you, as Rami. You though. show up every day with a uh, Louis Vuitton bag yeah. and I do not. Gucci. But I came uh, empty-handed today. <laughs> exactly. That's the way you arrive. Very opulent. Usually. <laughs> Uh, you know, we've, I've heard extreme reactions, by the way, polar op. So Ramin Mescarlu joining us in a few moments. Extreme reactions I've heard, uh, polar opposite feedback to my admission on our last episode that I had not had pizza lathered in ketchup before. Uh, ketchup teeming on a piece of pizza. I had not had that before, i.e. Persian pizza. Some Iranian friends of mine were like, uh, what do you live under a rock? You know uh, how you don't know we are putting ketchup on the pizza. You know and uh, uh, <laughs> and and then my non-Iranian friends, uh, or at least two of them, uh, two I've heard from since the episode was posted, pretty much said, "Ooh, like they don't get it." You know, mm-hmm. and and I don't know what to do. Am I? Uh, I'm at a fork in the road with my pizza eating. Should I moving forward use the ketchup on the za as a to demonstrate my respect for our true culture? <laughs> You know, our, our national culture uh, of origin, or do I go with what tastes appropriate and right, you know? But doesn't ketchup on Persian pizza taste appropriate? Don't, well, don't lie. I, I, I'm not going to lie. Uh, it, it, it just tastes weird to me. It, I, it, I couldn't get used to the idea. Well, do yourself a favor. Go home tonight, pour yourself a glass of wine, and order some Persian pizza, and just give it a chance. Just let it seep in that flavor and... Ketchup goodiness. Ladies and gentlemen, opulence global. <laughs> Go home, have Not a glass so of wine. What kind of world do you live in? It sounds so the best great. Kind. Yeah. Fantastic. 
Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I mean, the problem with this is there's only so much pizza I, mean, I should be eating, right? I've uh, ordered it twice since. We really? Started, yeah. Since we had last weekend. It's, yeah. it's good, man. It's I, good it is stuff. good. The Persian Once pizza was amazing. Mm. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. Very rich. It's like, you're right. It's like a quiche. It's very thick and, you know, it's like a deep dish pizza, deep dish pizza that's yeah. missing. No, it's not, uh, vacation, not, <laughs> not the vacation spot quiche. Have you ever had, do you know what, you know what quiche is, right? Yes, Shaya? yes, yes. Yeah. Actually, the, the, the other day that you mentioned quiche the day before that i i had quiche uh-huh. yeah and it was delicious did you put ketchup on the quiche <laughs> <laughs> no 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 nothing mm-hmm. but, but i i really liked it but i just thought of a new segment Jian's dilemmas going forward that's not a segment that's like every hour <laughs> of my life endless <laughs> for It'll decades take up the whole show. Uh, <laughs> oh by the way that that um ketchup uh conversation was on the ep- on our last episode which featured the lead oz uh, the fabulous uh, Israeli singer, actress, dancer who has got an album coming out tomorrow, tomorrow yeah. in uh, in Farsi in of, of Persian pop songs. She's also on the series Tehran. I just finished the final episode of I guess season one of Tehran, mm. and there's some uh, some crazy things happen. I'm starting it this weekend. Actually. Are you? Yeah. 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 Uh, and Lee Roz is is at the center of the crazy things. That <laughs> yeah. So, Can't wait to see it. Uh, for those of you who haven't checked out Tehran yet, it's an interesting series. I mean, you you some people may have some historical issues with it, some political issues with it, um, some directorial issues with it. On the other hand, I found it very engaging. Uh, I love some of the cast members, of course. Mm-hmm. I love Navi Negarbon, and mm. I think uh, Lee Raz does great. And, I, and Neve, Neve Sultan, the yes. woman who is the, the the protagonist, the lead character, is fabulous as well. Um, but uh, it's an interesting, yeah, there's some interesting twists and turns. So uh, fueled by the interview with Lee Raz, I was determined to watch the very final uh, episode and found it quite quite interesting. How is her accent in the show? Terrible. <laughs> That's her what I heard. Is, but I, again, I'm not one to talk, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah, but I, I think I think my accent's a lot better. Yeah. Uh, we should get someone else to check on this. <laughs> Shia, Reza. No, your accent is oh, way better. Come on. Asil. Mm. Yes. It's, not, it's worse than yeah, mine, and that's saying a lot. Uh, the, let's talk Farsi okay, for a minute. Okay, Let's have a Farsi off. Uh, now let's have Shaya translate that. <laughs> Shaya, what did she say? <laughs> oh, actually, I just changed my mind. No, <laughs> see, see what I'm saying, Shaya? <laughs> now we know. <laughs> that was gold. That's great. Uh, we can still edit that out, right? I like that we st- we stumped wow. each other on what are you doing today? Why can't we that just normally nice. talk? Half is a ring. Ramin Daramiat Ru show to your sen. To sen? Yeah, there wow. To your sen. We are to your sen again. Well, this is a different type of set. You're right. Sen is rock. All right. Great. Also, I should say this too. Uh, Monday on Rook, Kion. Okay, I'm listening. A cultural icon Ooh. from Iran. I don't think you know who's coming on on Monday, do you? I don't believe so. I don't think so because this has just sort of happened in the last few days. And uh, 
and I'm not sure if, yeah, if everybody knows. Uh, oh, a cultural icon f- uh, of Iranian descent, obviously, will be joining us for a feature interview. I'm very excited, truly honored to have this person coming on our program. Keon? Who is it? The tune suspense. in on Monday to oh. see who it is, or actually come into work. I'm very uh, impatient. <laughs> no. <laughs> really? You're not going to tell us? I'm very no, impatient. No, no. I uh, want to build the anticipation, right. but I am I know Shia knows, and Shia yes. is very excited as yes. well. Shia, oh, yeah. sh- is he like inflating this? Should I? Should we all be very excited? Oh, yes. Okay. Super excited. <gasps> oh, yeah. does it start with a G? Okay, you don't have to answer. No. Okay. G. Uh, that G. was so random. Cultural icon. That's one. Do you, can you reference anybody Gomeshi. else? <laughs> Let's. I'll, I'll go so far as to say it's not Gugush. Okay. okay. Yeah, but as big as Gugush oh. in, in another field. Yeah, that's actually true. As right. big as Gugush in another field. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, do, I guess we have some letters based on the Lee Ross show. Yeah, and the we do. Catch and I, up and the yeah, yeah, we have quite a few. And I've uh, actually collected a few from older episodes, uh, new letters that c- came in. So we'll get to those. All right. We will get on. to all of that. Uh, let's get to our feature guest today. My, my guest today is a, an Iranian-Canadian business success story who parlayed the ambitions of a young star athlete. He was a champion wrestler into becoming one of the top trainers in the world of marketing and one of the top industry experts in distributor compensation plans. Ramin Mescarlu is arguably the most serious direct seller in the world. His specialty is MLM or multi-level marketing and he is the founder and CEO of Forensic Network and Opulence Global, which is Canada's largest private design fashion house. Opulence has grown to become one of the world's most prestigious luxury fashion houses, competing in the same market as Harry Winston, Cartier, Gucci and Louis Vuitton among other benchmark brands. He was born in Iran in 1968, ended up in Ottawa, Canada after the revolution, but Ramin's ambitions have always been at the forefront since starting his own pizza delivery business at the age of 17. After 30 years spent in direct sales, Ramin has built four multi-million dollar businesses serving clients in 204 countries and territories across the globe. He has been the cover feature of Preferred Magazine, Canadian Business Journal, Viva international Canadian jewelers magazine and he's one of the very few Canadian entrepreneurs who have been on the cover of the American Business Journal. And today, Ramin Mescarlu is also considered one of the industry's successful master trainers. He is the author of Forensic Networker, which is a comprehensive training course containing all of his methods and secrets to his building success. And right now, Ramin Mescarlu joins me in the Rook studio. Hello, sir. Good to be with you, Jean. It's a pleasure. It's nice to have you here. Likewise. Thanks for doing this. You know, I want to talk to you about peaks and valleys. I want to talk to you about your story. Uh, I want to talk to you about the lessons you've learned in business and motivating people. Uh, let me start with this. Life does not sustain. If you're not getting better, you're getting worse. <laughs> you uh, know those words because they're your words. Well, what does that mean to you? But the universe is not still. Everything evolves, and since we are part of the universe, you have to evolve or you become obsolete. 30 years ago, it was a little mom and pops and greasy spoon places all over the place. Today's big box stores, those people are gone. So we have to evolve as people. I don't believe life sustains. You are either getting better or getting worse. Now, if you are sustaining, it's because you're trying to get better, but it's not, but it's sustaining. But you cannot sustain because, simply put, life is evolving. If you're not evolving with it, then 
you're not you're getting worse. I I get what it means, but it also feels in uh, intrinsically ambitious. In other words, uh, you can't be quiescent. You can't just be happy with what you have. So if so if a guy says to you, comes up and goes, you know what? Actually, I've got a you know I got a small I got a bungalow. I got a couple of kids. I've got a pretty good job. Everything's fine. What would you say? Look, there is a reality called inflation for the past 30 or 40 years. I mean, back 30 years ago, one-income families did well. Then it wasn't. They needed two-income families. Then it wasn't. There was two plus something else. This is why industry is blowing everywhere, why internet e-commerce is blowing everywhere, because you already have two jobs. You can't have a third job, so people find something else to do on the web, part-time, so forth. So at the end of the day, inflation, we know overseas are raises, so you cannot be doing what you think you're doing well. So the difference between solvency and but you were you're assuming my guy in the bungalow with the two kids is in debt. Apps, but we know they're in debt because according to a TD Bank, forty nine percent of the population in Canada they're one paycheck away from falling uh, complete. Right? right. So look, the difference between solvency and bankruptcy. So I'm doing okay. Is it? I wasn't not me, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't even have that. But it, but it, but the notion of I'm doing okay is a myth. Is a, 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 a unless you're getting better. It absolutely Unle- is a myth. Look, you know what they don't understand that what's going on is because the difference between the solvency and bankruptcy 30 years ago was only 300 bucks. So you say, well, it's only 300. Well, if you're 300 short this month, it's 600 next month, yeah. 900 the following month. Eventually, landing credits fall, credit cards will fall. You pull the plug, bankruptcy. Now we have record bankruptcies. That record's got worse. Now the difference between the bankruptcy and solvency in Canada is 200 bucks. But the guy doesn't know he's behind two hundred bucks because he put it on his credit card. By the way, these are these are life lessons that are yeah. applicable to any country, right? Absolutely. Because people are listening to us in more than just Canada. So, uh, so how granular or how specific do you get about the? Um, if you're not getting better, you're you're getting worse. I mean, in a, so do you? Because, for example, investor or financial advisors say don't sweat the stock market going up and down so that would suggest you don't look at it every day and go am i getting better or am i getting worse i'm getting I mean, yeah. uh so how, how when when am i allowed to check if i'm getting better or worse the things you have control over you have no control over the stock market the things you have see people ask me how do i become successful like you i said well it's a, it's a very tough question but said but if you have to really break it down you need two things number one you need an opportunity because a job is not an opportunity you need an opportunity that you have control a over. A job is not an opportunity. Of course not. A job is uh, something that keeps even, even a, good, a good job. That's not an opportunity. But there may be a good. There may be some good jobs, but then that's the one percent, right? That's you know when we take a look at as a whole. When I talk, I don't talk about exceptions like you. We're talking about people who you know the, the general public, right? Right. So if the general pub, if somebody from general public wants to evolve, get something better, come out of the masses. They need two things. Number one, they need an opportunity. Start a home-based business, go e-commerce, something. Number two, you have to evolve. In other words, you can't stay the same, expect different results. Right. You've got to become more than what you are. And so you take control of what you have control over, not what you don't. So um, this is interesting because this, I, I know you have a, you've said I'm basically unemployable. Uh, Genetically, you, you don't like working for people. No. Yeah, so that makes sense that you would say a job's not an opportunity, but um, a job is a lifeline for a lot of people, it right? Is. But it's not an opportunity. It pays the bills. See, opportunity is something that allows you to go somewhere you're not now. 
it allows you to become much better version of yourself allows you to tap into the life's menu that only a few individuals have access to because most people don't get to see life's so what menu. happens to the example of the girl who works in the mail room and works her way up and works hard and becomes the vice president of a company doesn't that mean the job in the mail room was an opportunity well, if you take a look at the stats of how many people get to do that, look, we always all, all heard about the doggy dog world, but that comes from the corporate world. At the end of the day, very few, yes, they can work their way up there. The masses will never have that opportunity. I can already tell I, I, I'm going to enjoy the cut talking to you. I've got <laughs> this is, there's so much to cover since you've got all the you're like the uh, the, the the financial Yoda. I've got I'm going to come and ask you all these questions. So l- let me ask you first of all about your your personal routine. I was thinking about you. I was thinking, okay, he's got all of these things going on. You seem like a pretty balanced guy. You live in a uh, a home a, a rural in a rural community outside of. Uh, uh, Toronto. It's been said that one of the most common habits of successful individuals are early, that they're early risers. When do you get up in the morning? I'm not one of those. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> here's the reason why. Right. <laughs> here's the reason oh, why. Okay. Our business is global. So a job is not an opportunity. <laughs> Getting up early is not an asset. What else can you tell us? Well, no, no. For me, my my staff get up early, so I guess I have the privilege of not to do that. Okay. But the reason why I don't. My business in around the world, different time zones. So while people shut down five, six in the afternoon, my staff shut down five, six in the afternoon. I am on my WhatsApp and webinars at midnight, two in the morning, sometime at 4 a.m. Because okay. in Israel, it's a different time while I'm here. And I really need to be available for my leadership globally. That's why my hours vary a little bit. Are you a workaholic? I am. You are. Absolutely. Well, that's interesting because you're also the guy who said in your late teens or early 20s that you wanted to retire by the age of 30. <laughs> and I, I'm not sure if I can do the math exactly, but <laughs> you're north of 30 now, right? So yeah. uh, you are born in 68. So uh, so um, what happened to that? Uh, it, it, you, it, I'm assuming a guy like you can't quit being a, uh, a hardworking person who wants to, if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Well, I was always a weird, little bit of a weird kid, right? So I'm 16, as I'm retired, I'm retired age 30, and um, and I worked really, really hard. And at 30, I did retire, and it lasted about 10 months. Now at that time, I had my big 5,000 square foot home, and I had my wasn't making a lot of money. It was about 20, 25,000. You a said month. you you said you made your first million dollars by the age of 25. 25, yeah. You know, I know that because you've said it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so 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 by 30, you've even made more. That's right. And and what happened to the retirement dream? I got bored. Well, yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> Why would you want to yeah. retire at 30? What does that so even mean? Happened? I tried to retire. Took last 10 months. I took things like ballroom dancing and rollerblading. <laughs> I even bought golf clubs. <laughs> I used it twice, and I realized you don't retire at thirty; you just get bored. Do you? Uh, but I, I, I would think the opposite would be a problem for you, which is that how are you ever going to retire? Because you just want to keep you. You're addicted to things growing, right? That's true. Um, you're going to be one of those guys who's like eighty-five, a billionaire at eighty-five, <laughs> who's like working sixteen hours a day to make more money, and everybody's like, "Rami, slow down! You don't need to do it anymore." more yeah and you're supposed to be the coach yeah but you know what though um i believe in another concept which is when you're fresh you're ripe when you're ripe you rot you gotta stay fresh constantly because if retirement is a good way to rot Uh. 
you always need that next. I'll call it the next, the next, the next. I wrote in my book, life is not about achieving happiness. It's about happily achieving. It's always about the next, the next, the next, the next. Because I'm telling you, if you look at science, science, and people don't know this, one third of the astronauts, when they come back from the mission, they go nuts. Because once you've been to the moon, what else is there? <laughs> there is no next. That's right, true. Right. So look at all these rock stars. I mean, you're a celebrity yourself. All these rock stars. All these people, many of them become drug addicts. So they're becoming, why? They have everything. They got all the money, the women. They got everything else. And there's no next for them. So they revert to things for the release. You have to have that next. So you're right. I will never retire because if there's no next, Mm-hmm. then that's when you rot. We won't end this conversation without finding what the next is for you. I want to ask you about your your companies and your current business, but but take me back first. You've said you had a pretty privileged life growing yeah. up in Iran. Tell me about a, being a kid in Iran in the in the 1970s. It's pretty cool. I mean, the bus would come pick us, pick us up from school. We'd go to private school. There was a fridge in the back of the bus, had drinks in it. It was pretty cool. Where were you? Were you in Tehran? In Tehran, yeah. And your mom was a diplomat? She was a diplomat, yeah. And so when you, what does being a privileged kid mean in, in the Iran of the 1970s? Well, look, I don't remember much of it, but I know the stories. Like, I was the first one in my street to have a bicycle. You know, so those are the stories you hear from your aunts and uncles and stuff like this. Now, when I was, when we went to India, she was posted there. We went to American Embassy School. Boss would come on. We actually had a clubhouse at our school, and I'm like 10. And we could spend a night there if we want to. The bowling alleys, it was, it was, it was fully security, secure. So that's what I'm talking when about. When did your mom get posted to India? 1978. Oh, so that was right before you guys left Iran. Yeah, exactly. Right. So was that on the way to leaving Iran then? You went to India and never went back? But we were in India for two years uh-huh. when everything changed. Right. They asked her to go back. She didn't want to go back because schooling at the time was non-existent in Iran. So she came to Canada. Plan was to leave us here and go back, and then she just recognized it's just not doable. And Rami, can I ask you where your dad was? My dad was still with us in India. Okay. Then he went home to sell some stuff, and then he came here and he passed away 15 years ago. So your your but your mom was the the diplomat. She yeah, was the head of was, the family. Yeah. So um, it sounds like you would characterize your childhood as a pretty happy one. Oh yeah, absolutely. And everything changes, the revolution happens, it doesn't sound like such a good idea to go back to Iran. Mm-hmm. So you guys end up coming to Ottawa, Canada, which a uh, great little city, but uh, a culture shock, no doubt, uh, if nothing else, a weather, a weather shock. Tell me about arriving in Ottawa as a 10 or 12 year old. Well, it was two in the morning at, uh, in February. <laughs> from India. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a bit of a weather shock. Look, we were athletes. Uh, my brother and I were focused on what we were doing. My uncle was a... So you'd already been involved in the, the athletics, the, the wrestling and everything when you were in India and Iran? No, wrestling was here, but my uncle was wrestling in Iran, so we had that history. Ah. So when we came here, our job is school, wrestling. But I felt bad for my mother because she was a lifelong diplomat. Now she put her money to this little Persian restaurant, and she's a cook and a dishwasher and all this stuff. And after school, I went to help, but... I did not like to see my mother, that diplomat, that way. Uh, that's why I got attracted to uh, marketing, because in marketing, you get to dress up and you know, try to present who you are. And uh, so that was, my mother was my first uh, motivation, my mm. why, why I wanted to do this business. So wait a minute, your mom was a, an international diplomat, comes to Canada and open, she, you guys opened a little restaurant. She yeah. opens a little a Persian restaurant. That's right. Um, yeah, that, that must have been difficult for her. It was 
and but she my dad is that was, where you wash dishes by the way I, no I had my, I, uh, that too there too <laughs> <laughs> i know you washed dishes when you were like 13 my first job i worked in a restaurant in ottawa called hayloft it was an olive athletic club and i don't know why they employed me because it's a big restaurant that alcohol but i used to work till two three in the morning washing dishes and i was 13 yeah two dollars and 85 cents an hour back then i remember that so i know for me being a growing up in an iranian family in um uh canada at that time uh, the hostage crisis the revolution yeah. uh was not easy um it, it, it was in fact the, the way i dealt with it as i've said a few times on this program is i basically went into the ethnic closet for a few years and hoped that people wouldn't know i was iranian until i realized that there's nothing to be ashamed of and that it was other people's attitudes towards us that was the issue but how, how was that for you in ottawa it's the same um if you look at my old pictures, I had when I first made my million, I had this special order Mercedes that came from Germany, it was an SL500 convertible, and I put my name Ramin on it. And my main reason was I wanted people to know I'm Iranian. Hmm. Because at the time, like you said, it, it, because of the hostage situation, we would label all kinds of stuff. And, I, and it really offended me when somebody in one of my seminars came and said, where are you from? I'm, I'm, I'm Persian. Oh, really? And it got this thing on their face. Like, yeah. Why? Well, I didn't, like, you don't look, I didn't think you were Persian. I said, as a matter of fact, this is a typical Persian. <laughs> I don't know what you know, but this is a typical Persian, so. Right. Um, so when you were, you go into wrestling uh, in Ottawa as a teenager, um, what, what was that, being an Iranian kid who's a wrestler, uh, was there any animosity with other kids because of your background? Was that was that almost a motivation for you at times? No, they loved that because everyone knows Persians are great at wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> I had five scholarships across Canada on my wrestling. When you say a Persian that coming and wrestling coaches, they come scout you because they, they know you're good. Yeah, and so and and you you become a, a junior Canadian champion at uh, wrestling, and you're and you're very involved in that. So I've got to think your mom, who's the diplomat and um uh, who's you've grown up in a, in a well-off uh, iranian family wrestling is not necessarily the the career trajectory that's expected <laughs> from the, the the bourgeoisie what were her thoughts on your career decisions yeah you're right i won actually one national championship 15 16 year olds was and and my mother wanted me to be a doctor i can't even see blood <laughs> it was not for me um and I, I always had to be an entrepreneur. I had that in me because, you know, I was a weird kid. I, I could drive into these places in Ottawa, I see these mansions, right? I see nice cars. And normal person drive through, I said, oh, okay, it's nice. I would drive through them. I had this burn inside my stomach, you know, that I wanted it so badly. I was happy for who had it, but my attitude was like, why not me? So I had this burn and that's for, that maybe an average person doesn't get. You know, you've said one of the things, I mean, it only, it doesn't surprise me that you're often asked about how did your athletics or your wrestling uh, years inform your business life and your um, your career trajectory in, in, in the financial and business world. One of the things you've said is, um, uh, you said coming from an individual sport has helped you in business. And I was marinating on that and thinking, you know, businesses rely on teamwork too. So it, it doesn't help for you to just know how to be an individual, does it? No, uh, what I meant by that was, you know, in wrestling, you go to a tournament, you lose, you win and lose, right? And you're hurt, you're bleeding, but the next day you go back to practice. 
and you practice again, get ready for the next tournament. So w what that helped me in business is that you go through the peaks and valleys in business. When the adversity hits, I was used to getting back up, mm. where a lot of people just kind of made, made this to bail out. That's what I mean by that. I was used to peaks and valleys. I was used to every time I got knocked down, the decision is not to stay down. The decision is get up and fight. What made you a good wrestler? Was it that? I don't know. You know, I, uh, my brother was a great wrestler, and uh, my uncle was one of the best in Iran. So I just, uh, maybe I'm stubborn. <laughs> maybe that's what it is. I'm stubborn. I had an attitude. When I was at the World Championship, we went there. The Canadian team was very, very uh, nervous because Americans were cheap cheating. I mean, they're not our weight clutch. You could clearly see. They would say, don't you get nervous? I said, I do get nervous, but when I go see my opponent, I don't see a face. I see a structure. And I'm not going to stop till the structure is no longer standing. He's got two legs, two arms, and one head, just like I do. So I always rationalize things that way. That why should you be superior to me? You got that mansion, okay, great. I just have to know what you know. In other words, it's not just those people. I just have to find what I need to do. Where did that come from? This this go-getter side of you. I mean, by the like I said in the introduction there, by the age of seventeen, you've set up a pizza delivery company. <laughs> uh, and the most important part of that is not that whether the company is hugely successful or not. It's that you have the idea that you can set up a company. I mean, you're an immigrant kid who you, you know you've come here. You probably weren't even. You probably had an accent as a kid, right? You, oh, I, I'm, you know, you've been lived in Iran and India. You come yeah. here, and um, where did where did I suppose you develop the the confidence or the idea that you could set up companies? You could be the guy at, at the forefront of all of that. I think the basis is because of my mother. Now here's here's a young lady in Iran where she wants to go become a diplomat, and the whole family where they were like, "What? You work in an office?" She literally got her degree, university. We thought my dad knowing you know, after work and take going to university. And so she went against a lot of odds to reach her dream. And I guess that's my base. Mm. And then after that, it comes down to uh, you setting yourself uh, targets uh, to achieve. You have this, um, Ramin, you, you were doing pretty well at the wrestling. You, you were um, training for the Olympics. The story is you get into a, you got injured right, and yeah. you ha you're on the sidelines for about six months. Interestingly, rather than just be devastated and um, eager to get back on, on the mats, what do you say in wrestling? In wrestling, back on the, yeah. in the ring? I don't know, what is it? Yeah. What get do you say? Get on no, the, the mat. mat, get back yeah. on the mat. Um, you, at, it's that point at which you pivot and go, actually, I wanna be in business. Um, that seems quite extraordinary to me because to be as good as you were at wrestling, you would have, I, I can only imagine you were putting hours and hours into this every day. Um, so to kind of be okay with moving on from that, tell me about that decision. It's a little bit different for wrestling in Canada. Here's the reason, there's no money in wrestling. You do it because you just want to conquer. That's what it is. Uh, we had five scholarships, my brother and I across Canada. But my mother didn't all, not also want us to move anywhere because she was here myself. The scholarships were based on wrestling? Wrestling, yeah. So a university says, you come and be on our wrestling team, we'll give yeah. you a scholarship? Uh, they, they provide you a place to stay and all that stuff. Okay. Um, so for me, when I got hurt, uh, I knew from the beginning it's not a career that it's gonna, I, would, I could do for long anyways. Wrestling's tough. Your body gets beaten up. So I was always entrepreneurial even at that time. 
So when I got hurt, when I got hurt, to me that was okay. Let's do something with those six months, and that started something within those six months. And I'm also very spiritual. I'm not religious, but I'm very spiritual. Is that everything happens for a reason? Everything happens for a reason. I just follow those uh, those cues. So let me. I mean, you've already alluded to it a couple of times, but let me ask you about adversity, the peaks and valleys, um, because the story after this point for the last thirty years has been. Uh, of you building these extraordinarily successful businesses. In some cases, they fall, uh, and then you build a bigger one. (laughs) And then sometimes they fall again, and you build a bigger one. Uh, And this is something you talk a lot about in terms of dealing with adversity. And I have to say, uh, Robin, you do, I mean, you do traffic in a lot of sayings that sound impressive, but I can't tell if this is impressive or just overblown, and I can't decide which. Like when you say one of the secrets to success in overcoming challenges is being a mentor warrior yeah so what is a mental warrior what does it mean is be able to get up and pick up the phone and dial and get to work when you don't feel like it you know um, it's very difficult to achieve anything if you let your feelings dictate to you you got to set some targets break those targets into daily and hourly and in order for you to do that you need to be a mental warrior in other words put aside the feelings it's irrelevant to my job we should be, we can be so one dimensional. I don't feel good. So what? Get up your butt and go to work. You know, don't bring, you have to be able to separate your feelings with what you gotta do daily. If you have a child, it doesn't matter if you feel good enough, if they're sick, you take care of them. That means we can all do this. Mm. So it can be one dimensional. I, I break up my different parts of my life in different, uh, different pages and I make sure, to, I, I go by a Stephen Covey system, which is one, two, three, four. One is urgent and important. But the ones have to get done on a daily basis. These are tasks. Tasks. This is a, is this different from the promise list, or is this the promise list? No, promise list is something I created because okay. um, you know we hear a lot about goals. Mm-hmm. To me, goals doesn't mean anything because it's something that's nice to achieve, and that's a word people like to use. To me, goals is like a New Year's resolution. I'm gonna quit smoking, lose some weight, and three weeks later in the year, it's gone. I said, don't set up a goal list. There's no accountability to that. Set up a promise list. Here's the reason why. Promise is personal, it's your word. Most people, when they make a promise, they do all they can to keep that promise because it's, it's accountability, it's personal to you. Mm-hmm. Goal, okay, it's just something's nice to achieve. So it's a separate promise list, and when you got those promise lists, now you have a daily target to go for. So I still want, I want to stay on the mental warrior thing because I want you to teach me how to <laughs> teach yeah. me how to be a mental warrior. Uh, te- no, teach me a little bit, of, or, or, or tell me a little bit about what you tell people um, in terms of learning how to be a, a mental warrior. You, you you referenced the task list. So so um, you're someone I'm guessing from what you just said carries around a calendar, an iCal or whatever that, and you and you break down the whole day and you know exactly what you're supposed to be doing every hour of the day. Well, I use I just for that stuff. I just use my calendar. It's okay. on my phone. But look, um, at the end of the day, uh, what we need to be able to do is wake up in the morning, know what we want to do, and actually do it. So as a mental warrior, it's easy for me to say, you know what, I miss my son. I'm going to stay in Ottawa extra week and not go to work. It's easy, but you know why I don't do that? This is a story that I share in my seminars. When he was four months old, so I would say put a target bigger than yourself because if it's about you then you can very quickly either uh, give up on that or reach that. The target has to be bigger than you. In my company, I said to the billion, I don't need a billion, my life is good. Why do I say to the billion? Because 
This is your, one of your taglines. It's to, to the billion. Yeah, that's our yeah. target. That's the next thing that you want to. So <laughs> the billion being a billion dollars a year. Yeah, in sales. a year in sales. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I, Jeez, yeah. you know, he's setting your sights low. I guess. <laughs> all right. And you know what's funny? Because I launched this company in my home office. <laughs> my home office was smaller than this. That's how I started my company in two thousand five. And that's when this, I, this this meeting our studio, which is massive, by the way. It's, uh, uh, no, uh, look, we, we, you know this is amazing because one thing I do know, uh, if I were to do the Gion motivational book, I will I would say one thing for sure: you're not going to make the billion dollars unless you set your sights on getting it yeah. right. Unless you say I'm going, you're not going to happen. You're not going to accidentally make a billion. No one accidentally is going to get there. It's got. It's about setting that goal and and I guess. Willing yourself promise. to do it. making the promise, right? The promise list. Yeah. Sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. No, that's okay. No, the reason is that I could have said, oh, I just want to be successful. Okay, well, I was successful before this company. I said the billion for a reason. Because if the target was low, when we reach it, then I want to quit. I want to go on the beach somewhere. I said a billion, our comp plan is 70%. That means 700 million goes as commissions every year. We want to create a thousand millionaires. In other words, I set the target bigger than myself. So I have to keep working. I'm here 15 years later. But what, uh, what if you don't <laughs> get there? <laughs> I, well, I mean, I don't want to suggest this, but what if you don't make the billion a year and you're 90 years old? Are you still going to be like, God damn it, my promise list. I got to get the I mean, when does that, how far do you go with this? It's funny you should say that. My 10th anniversary, we have this massive celebration. 10th anniversary of what? For my company. Okay. 40 countries came for that. Media platform was jammed. Fifty company over uh, there, Airport Road, International Plaza, eighteen hundred people directing traffic. Everyone's having it's a four-day party, convention, all this stuff. I have this massive runway, and um, we have Canada's largest fashion shows are called Ferry on the Runway. So we have seventy-five foot runway and all these. Which people. company of yours is this? Global Wealth. This is my fashion line, okay, Ferry yeah. Designer Line. Ferry, yeah. And everyone's celebrating for four days. At three in the morning, I got up from my suite. I went down, I sat down on, on, on this platform, the runway, which is getting ready for the next day. Whole place is empty. I'm having a petty party. You know, a petty party to me is that when you sit there and you're just angry, right? You know? mm -hmm. And I was having a petty party because when I launched my company in 2005, I said we do the billion in 10 years. That was the 10th anniversary. You're where clearly no a failure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I was feeling. <laughs> So you're right, but uh, Baba John, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, don't you feel like there be some people? I mean, I'm sure there's some people listening to this going, "Dude, settle down." I mean, you, it's going to be a because life is not about achieving happiness; it's about happily achieving. Listen, we well, create, that okay, we create lots of millionaires because of my attitude. If I have gone to the beach, but after, hang on, a second. I was going to save this to the yeah. end. Let me get to this right now. Yeah, why do you care so much about stuff? Because I get it. I like some nice things, but you really—you—it's you, you want to achieve. You, for you, achieving sounds like it's the money you want. The the big, and you're not alone, by the way. And especially in the Iranian community, you wouldn't be alone. But you—you you like stuff so much. You like material things. But you're wrong, though. My my compensation plan pays seventy percent back to distributors. So that's 70 cents of every dollar. So that's 700 million out. We don't even keep it. Then I live on a very small percentage. Robin, you called your company op opulence. That's I right. mean, you like expensive things. I do. You I want, guess you, I don't. 
Yeah. yeah. So why? Why do you? Why, why is the billion dollar so important to you? Why isn't it knowing how to recite a Rumi poem or go walk <laughs> on the beach next to your mansion or whatever? Well, let me tell you what, because this is the challenge that an average person has. Somebody says, "I don't need money; is not important." But let me tell you something: if you're not money is not important, you're not supporting any charities, because we have orphanage homes in Kenya. I have 13 different charities I support. Everything that we put out, especially kids, are dear to my heart. You know, the stuff that we do, and I see the smile on the face, money does buy happiness, and I can tell you in abundance, if you put it in the right place. For me, it's not about me. I will live on the concept of give and receive, quantum physics. Give and receive. When you give, that's in that order, you give, then you receive. And that's my entire life has been about giving to people. Mm. People say, I have some CEO friends, Ramin, your sales, why are you giving away 70% of that as commissions? In the, the rest of the industry is averaging 45%. It's because I don't I have no ambition of becoming a world's richest man. It's not important to me, that part. Mm. My life was You want to be the second. No. A billion a year. No, actually, <laughs> I want to. I, for me, I'm a bit of a wrestler. I want to win in a case that I can say. I build a company that the average destroys the DSA average, which we do by 800%. Mm. I want to create something the industry hasn't done in, in, in 75 years. For me, it's about giving to other people. So. I'm well known for that. They call me at the, in, in, before I saw it, um, CEO with a golden heart because I put promotions that cost me a fortune because I want to do it. Like today, I, before I came, my fiance talked about Iran, somebody needs some whatever. I said, whatever it costs, whatever it costs. Mm. I don't know these people. How far do you go? How far do you go for the win? Uh, pretty safe. I mean, I, know I stay within my own. I cocoon within my own environment, right? I know. I mean, good you're like you know that the president of the United States, the current current president Donald Trump, the idea is win at any cost. This no, is a guy who no. wants to win at any cost, right? Yeah. No, that's not. That's not us. We kind of we're good enough. You know, look, there are companies in our industry doing ten billion a year. Billion may sound big to traditional businesses, but in our industry, we we got a long way to go. <laughs> <laughs> no, a billion does sound big to some of us. Still. So I, I, I'm so excited. I've been talking to you about a few different things. I cut you off here. So you, you were, we were at the pity party okay. on the 10-year anniversary at Airport Road, 3 in the morning. Yeah. So what happened to the mental warrior at that moment? I had a breakdown. Mm. I only to look, I have my pity parties like everybody else. It's just that I learned to package it. That's something that will take me down for a week or two. It takes me down if two, three days. Then I learned to package it, two, three hours. Then I learned to package it, two, three minutes. Then I learned to package it, 15 seconds, let I'm up and running, depending on the adversity. So one of the things that I, on your list of coaching rules that I've seen that probably is uh, inextricably tied to this, uh, to the mental warrior part, is to avoid negative people. I yeah. guess avoid negativity. Um, how do you do that? Oh, easy. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, um, if somebody calls me to complain, I stop them. I said, did you call to complain or do you need help with something? Because you call complain, I'm not interested. Help with something, what is it you need help with? I'm just not interested. At the end of the day, this is one thing about the Iranian committee. You talk about Iran, you know. All they sit here talk negative about Iran. That doesn't help. Do something to help Iran. You know, for me, Iran's about the running people. I don't care who runs it. You know, people say, why do you do everything for free for Iran? I'm not doing this for anyone. I'm doing for my people in Iran. That's what we can do. You know, we don't have the opportunity to sound the wall, hold a gun, and protect the country. We do what we can do, which is, in my case, advanced training, 
and uh, you know if there's sale, you know, if there's a flood, something, right. we just you know raise money, and send it down. What about detractors on the internet and stuff? What about trolls? What about that kind of negativity? Trust me, we you know everyone gets sad. Uh, when I was younger, I was 20 years old when I got in this direct sales industry, and uh, we came out strong and we did some good stuff. Actually, our business partners above us who were benefited from it, they got jealous. They put some lies out there. I'd make a call to Toronto. I made an appointment, came to Toronto, sat with my president. This is 1990. He said something I never forgot, and I've been sharing that to millions of people. I told him, Terry, you're hearing stuff. It's not true. He looked at me, he said, Ramin, with a smile. He said, Ramin, did I call you? I said, no. He goes, if I have a problem with you, I'll call you. I know what's going on. The higher you go up the pole, the more you ask yours. People <laughs> come to take a look. I never forgot that. It comes with the territory in our industry. You're one of the celebrities. We have a lot of celebrities around. They all have the same issues where they're constantly being attacked by somebody. Um, I guess it comes with the territory. So they say don't feed the tro trolls, right? Don't answer. Don't, don't, don't acknowledge it. Don't, you know. So when I was researching you for this, uh, this interview, you know where I'm going to go with this? No. No. So you, there's a guy, you were... Uh, you had done a uh, there was a TV special on you or something and you talking about your wrestling years yeah 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 and then there's a guy on the internet who says he actually wasn't a champion wrestler yeah, yeah, he didn't yeah. do well wrestling and um, I, I don't know what the details of yeah, it yeah. were but then you responded to the guy <laughs> you made a video and I was like I, I was kind of thinking well, do, do you want to I mean why even acknowledge it why why was why, a, why yeah. not just let it let these people say what they're going to say you're absolutely correct and I normally do that in business but this is my wrestling side now. <laughs> <laughs> you don't cross my wrestling side. I broke a lot of bones to it to gain those. So did things. that hurt that someone was was questioning you? You know, it didn't hurt that he said that. What it hurt is that, as society, we're so weak that we adopt anything somebody says. You know, and I know some of my big followers are questioning. And it's like, why would you question? Like, I've done so much for Ron for twenty years. Some guy who's trying to get followers all of a sudden starts, you know how it is, it's very common for these people to attack someone. And that happened after we set a record with Chehadaho show with Iran International News. And I guess he thought two and a half million followers they have, he just decided to, since then he's hiding because obviously we want to sue him for that. But, uh, but yeah, he did have to respond. And the reason I did, to be honest, many of my followers said, please respond to him. Mm. Yeah. So I did that to protect them really, not really this this person. This, um, this, thing that you do MLM I'm sure I'm going to out myself as naive or some person who doesn't know enough about the marketing world sure. I didn't know what that was sure. I had to I thought it was like a form of mixed martial arts or something <laughs> but this time it's called MLM it could be mentally <laughs> yeah so it's mixed level marketing the multi-level multi-level sorry multi-level I got the mixed martial yeah. arts in my head now yeah multi-level marketing why is that important what is that and why is that important because it gives an average person an opportunity to get a financial home run. There is nothing else an average person can do. You know, look, I mentioned earlier, now people have two jobs already, and it's not enough. Inflation is killing everybody, including governments. So if you are falling behind at $200 a month, but then what do you do? You need an opportunity that's online, e-commerce, at home. And during this pandemic, our banks are shocked. Our business tripled at 380% since January. Our business gone up almost four times. Our business being, being what? My company. Which one? What's the Opulence Global. Okay, yeah. Opulence Global. So very, do this as if we're to an audience who, do, who isn't schooled on mm -hmm. this stuff. What, what exactly does multi-level marketing mean? Well, multi-level marketing just means that you work from home and you 
sell products online and in person to people. It's just a form of marketing. It's no different than franchising with one big difference. With franchising, you get all the franchises you get, and then uh, as a company, they make it all the royalties. Multi-level marketing is much better than that. Everybody who gets in, they can start their own franchises and everybody gets those percentages. So essentially what happens, traditional companies, what they do to take a big portion of their sales, they put it towards marketing, TV, all the stuff. MLM companies don't do that. In my company, I said, okay, John, here's my product lines, go promote it when your family and friends or whoever, when they buy it, like affiliate program. And you don't have any or very many retail stores, right? We have it's, none. You have none. None. It's all, all, all online. It's all direct to, to, to the seller. You send the stuff. And so this is why, you, I, I don't know how prophetic you could have been, but it's, 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 a business, it's, a, it's a business model built for COVID, right? Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's no joke that you've been having a, unlike a lot of folks, I guess, you've been having probably a well, good look, year. The largest corporation in the world is Amazon. What right. do they do? Exactly. Yeah. What do they do? Yeah. yeah. Right? And except with Amazon, they don't give you a product, give you nothing. They give you a website and traffic. We give you the most sophisticated website. We give you the products we have done R&D on and hundreds of millions of dollars. It's in all warehouse. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to ship it to anywhere. We drop ship it for you. You launch an online shop with me. The rest we do. It's weird because when you blend that with luxury... I was thinking that, I mean, you've proven that it can work and, and some other companies have as well. I would have thought it wouldn't. I would have thought if somebody's going to drop thousands of dollars on earrings or a dress or, a, you know, that they would need to see it, that they would need to touch it, that they would need to be in a some store on Rodeo Drive, you know, that they couldn't uh, just order it. But I guess that's not true, right? It used to be like that. But I mean, look, even um, Black Friday, I mean, it's bigger than any retail sales like that stuff to do people now at 74 percent of the population they resell something online before they buy it it's become the way to go mobile uh, your mobile phone has become now uh your travel so it's, it's not like that anymore so your, your company global wealth trade corp which owns the brands ferry and ferry mosh mm-hmm. um after a few short years is competing with the top brands in the in the industry what would you say took global wealth trade to such high levels in the industry in such a short time you know uh what's the secret sauce well, there's a few unique aspects of it one of them is like you said no other company in our industry has done luxury number one fashion uh, second part is, uh, from the training point of view, my book university is most advanced in the MLM for the last 22 years. So we have the most serious training program because I'm very big on making sure we have professional distributors worldwide. So that's- What does that mean? You hire people and then you train them? No, I do it myself. You, you train them. Oh, uh, yeah. that's what you. That's yeah. what you. So training. I wrote a book twenty-two years ago, right. a forensic networker. It's awarded number one in the world. Even three months ago, Business from Dot the number one training in the world. So that's not new. Uh, so we have very strong training. When somebody joins our team, I want to make sure that we do all we can to help them. Sometimes we, they have to want it, but so they join the team in in Sri Lanka, anywhere in the world. Where, yeah. How do you train them? Every Monday night we do a product call. Every Tuesday we do business call. Every Saturday we do business calls. And you're personally involved in all that? In, the, in some of them. Mm-hmm. We have 35. Like what, why we blew up in June COVID. We, have, we set up 35 Zoom calls a week, different languages and different time zones. So instead of before that, it was done in hotels and person to person. It just speed up so much faster. We can get 10 people at the same time. 
and make money in 10 countries on one call. Well, I mean, one of the things that, um, uh, I won't keep you here too much longer. I know it's you okay. got, you've got, there's billions to be made. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm retarding your success by keeping you here. Um, one of the things that was really interesting for me was, was to find out that you have a lot of followers in Iran. Yeah. Um, how did how did that happen? I mean, you've you've been in Canada, you've been in the West since you were ten years old. How did they find you? Well, uh, direct sales is uh, is in about one hundred and seventy countries now, and Iran is exploding in that in, that industry is exploding, and I'm the star in the whole industry. Meaning, Iranians want to order products. Well, the whole industry, means? the whole industry, direct okay. sales because it, remember, in direct sales, sell two products. One of them is the opportunity, right, to be able to be self-employed. And second one is selling the actual goods and products. Iran is exploding. One and a half million people are not getting into this trade because the opportunities are limited there. So they want to be self-employed. They use e-commerce, internet, and they're making money. And I happen to be the top guy in the whole industry, and they're very proud of that. So they just follow because they know the top guy. Oh, he's a Persian guy. So they just kind of got around. And I started, uh, they asked me to do some training for them. And I started, and I just couldn't stop after. It's been like years now. Have you been to Iran? Twice. Um, in recent years? Uh, last time was about. I mean, so obviously, I knew you were in Iran when you were a kid. I mean, yeah. since then, five five or six years ago was the last time I was there. And would you, uh, what was that like for you? The experience of it. going back to Iran. Yeah. Oh, look, I was visiting. I love being there. People are beautiful there. Um, it was nice being home, uh, but I, but I'm not feeling their challenges. So. Yeah, that's kind of where I wanted to go towards the end of this interview, which is that um, you're very irony. Rami, you're like you're a really Iranian kind of guy. Even though you left at a young age, um, you know, I was even watching an interview with you where you, uh, I don't know if it's at your house, but you have a little um, theater, or you and you and you said, uh, "My joy is to watch old Iranian movies." Yeah. I mean, you were ten when you came here, you know, so uh, it wouldn't be a surprise if your joy was to watch old Seinfeld episodes or something, you know. Uh, what is that in you, this um, this part of you that is so Iranian despite spending 80% of your life so far outside of Iran? I'm proud. Uh, Cyrus the Great, Persian Empire. I called my, I named my son Cyrus. Um, look, we, we've civilized the world and now the world's looking at us as if we're some third world country and that really bothers me. You know, we take a look at what we contribute to the world and I really blame us, all of us, so we're not doing our part. You know, we, we need, to, need to literally live up to our heritage. You know, we can't be the largest empire on the planet, you know, and the first empire on the planet, and all of a sudden now we become who we are. So I, don't, I know I can't change the world, but I'm trying on my own little way to contribute as much as I can because I feel like I, it's my duty to do so. It's a real pleasure to Likewise. have you here. Uh, you, you you came here by yourself, by the way. I expected that there would be like armed guards, <laughs> three assistants, somebody running around with a you know a pager, like just a bunch of you know you're no. you, you're a very uh, uh, down to earth guy, and uh, it's it's really nice to see you again. And and um, thank you for making the time. Thank you for what you do. You're awesome, and our community needs this exactly what you're doing. Thank you, you know, sir. Being highlight to the positive things of our culture and not all the negative stuff that's what we hope to do and to address the negative stuff as a community collectively as well um ramin mescarlu business coach ceo successful businessman athletic champion the head of opulence global ramin mescarlu joined us in the rook studio today 
leaving the studio and the fabulous Keon coming in. And uh, Groovy Shia and Captain Reza were back here. That was uh, a spirited conversation mm-hmm. with Mr. Mescarlu. He surprised me, I have to say. I, and as soon as he started talking, I was like, oh, I'm, I already, I can, I can feel like I don't like this guy already. You know, just oh, the oh, typical. Wow. That's no, a very nice thing to I, say okay. about a man who just left <laughs> well, this room. let me finish. Yeah, okay. I expected him to be like the typical Persian overconfident man. Oh, yeah, I did this, I did that. But he surprised me, actually. He grew on me. He's very, he's charming. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> he I'll left the one. building. Yet? Uh, he's leaving. <laughs> I, I told him not coming back after no, Kiana's. I'm, I'm no. saying I'm saying something nice. He no, grew on me. Your honesty is yeah. appreciated. Well, uh, not always. Speaking <laughs> of honesty, let's get to the letters of the day. Yay! Okay, so this week on episode 60, we had a feature interview with Israeli-Iranian actress and singer, Lee Raz. She's better known as one of the stars of the hit new uh, Apple TV show, Tehran. Yes. Yeah, so we have on YouTube, Paymon Adel Dustihak says, All respect and love to the people of Israel. All human beings are members of one frame, since all, at first, from the same essence came. The other limbs at rest cannot remain. A human being is no name for thee. And that's a poem by uh, the Persian poet Sadi that he quoted there. Beautifully written. Very nice. Thanks, By Sadi and by Paimon. Uh, Moving on, we have a Mehdad Turkmania. And uh, this gentleman wrote in Farsi, like in, uh, I should say, Persian, like the language, you know, Persian, you know, the writing. I'm aware of Persian, I can read it very slowly. So I took the time to read this and write and translate it to English. Really? You translated it? It took me probably... Without the help of, uh, without the help of Savi Sibi Lohan. Just by myself. It took me about 10 minutes to do this. So... Only 10 minutes. I mean, I'm being serious. A, a letter, I would it would take me. It took me some time. You'd yeah. have to figure out the words yeah. and go. Okay, that's an M. That's yeah. an all. That all right. Yeah. Good so job. So he says, "Afarin Ali Bud, Maxusan Baraye Dochtaraye Man, Ketu Vancouver Bedonia Omadan Va Bozorg Shodan." This was great, especially for my kids, my girls who've grown up in Vancouver and mm-hmm. were. Yeah. تشویقشون میکنم که چند تا از برنامه برنامه‌تون گوش کنن و عشق بقیه‌شون میشن. Oh wow, I'm going to tell them to listen to some of our shows and they'll become lovers of the show. Yeah. That's beautiful. beautiful. Right? I'm so impressed, Kion. You should be. With uh Mirdad and his letter. All those fun- <laughs> I want to punch him in the face. But also, no, I am impressed with your you translation. See that well all those done. years of Persian school? Did not go to waste. No, clearly. <laughs> well done. All right. So moving on to Facebook, we have Ali Reza Edraki wrote, Thank you for the excellent interview. Liraz is a great actress and has done a great job holding on to her roots and making connections between two great cultures, Persian and Israeli. Thank you, Ali Reza. Uh, again, I mean, if, if, if you haven't listened to this interview from Monday, uh, I would recommend it. Of course, on uh, any of our platforms, you can go to our website, rookmedia.com, and link to it from there, sitting there on the main page, Lead Oz, whose album comes out tomorrow. Give her another shout out for her album, Zen, an album of Persian pop songs, original Persian pop that she did with Iranian musicians in Iran. It comes out uh, tomorrow, November 13th. That's awesome. Thank you, Kia. Cool. And then, uh, so I pulled up some uh, letters from more... Um, 
a little of some of the episodes we had in the past. So even though we move forward, people are still catching mm-hmm. up on some episodes exactly. and then leave letters or posts or comments. Exactly. On Great. Yeah. So way back on episode 28, we had an interview with award-winning journalist and broadcaster in San Diego, the lovely Shali Zomoradi, which I adore. I absolutely love that woman. Um, we have Hoda Mossadegh wrote, Gian, Rook rocks. I love listening to your podcast, and every time I have tears in my eyes. I love the Persian words in the middle of the English dialogue. We have beautiful people with great minds. Good luck with what you've started. That's lovely, That's Hoda. Beautiful, Thank you. Right? All right, and then moving back. No to reference to Shali there, <laughs> who was the star of that interview. But well, she I loved appre- that. She episode. loved it. I, that. That's a lovely yeah. letter. Thank you so much. And then back on episode 35, we had renowned Iranian-American scientist and leading figure at NASA, Dr. Firuz Nadiri, on the show. We have a Elham last name D. Thank you for your excellent program. Very useful, and I can say I got addicted to it. Yes. (laughs) Jian, you are an extraordinary in what you do. Mm. I love the music of the show. The whole team is amazing. Jian saying Persian words on the program is so sweet, especially Mizunbashi <laughs> at the end of the program. <laughs> you are the best host ever, so well prepared no matter who you're interviewing. Oh, thank you, Alham. Oh, and about Dr. Naderi, all of what he said was very valuable in all respects. I am one of his fans too. I hope people listen to this program. And Kian, you are fantastic. Hearing your soft voice and the role you have on the program is amazing. I love Rook. Hmm. Very beautiful. She sort of lost me at the end there. It was, <laughs> the letter was really? excellent. That's, and then that's the only part that some, really got my of, attention. Some what of happened? Took a left turn. Mizunbashi. <laughs> 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 Fantastic. Thank and you I, so much, Elham. That what a, what a lovely letter. Yeah, and, I have yeah. to say that was a contender for letter that of the day. That seems like a letter of the year. I mean, that's but a beautiful funny letter. Funny you should say, because I am I just got to letter of the day. Oh, oh Ponta the artist has just walked in today. Yeah, yeah. She's here for the letter of the day, huh? Okay. <laughs> Get excited, everybody. It's a good one. So back on episode 44, we had an interview with the absolute legendary songwriter and composer, Farid Zoland, and one of my favorite episodes. Really, it was truly... Is this letter from you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the letter of the day composed by Keon. No, well, I, I don't, I, I'm not mentioned in this one, so oh, no. It's oh. only the ones that references my name. <laughs> Keon's great. Well, the anti Mazjabrani letters. There was about five of them, and I just made five different you, accounts. You tossed them off on one yeah. night of uh, wine drinking and, uh, <laughs> Listen, and writing. and pizza eating. <laughs> Maz sucks. No, I'm kidding. He's wonderful. Yes. Oh, we have a Shabnam Kavokeb wrote, Jianjian, this was an incredible interview. I enjoyed every single moment of it. It is very impressive that you always know the person that you're interviewing so well. A great interview like this needs a lot of work and preparations in advance, and this is something that you managed to do in the best way. Your great voice, knowledge, and politeness during your interviews are always fascinating, and this specific interview will be one of the most special ones for Rook forever. It was full of emotions from your side and Mr. Zoland. Thanks for interviewing a legend like Mr. Zoland. As an Iranian, or let's say as a Persian, I'm proud of you, Mr. Farid Zoland and Rook. Thanks to the Rook team. 
Jan, wow. did you write that? <laughs> no, I, 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 I was going to say that. I mean, that's a, it's a very Beautiful. humbling. Thank you for picking that one. Uh, yeah. But, um, and thank you to Farid Zolan. That is one of my favorite episodes as mm. well. And, and for folks who haven't checked it out, episode number 44 with uh, Farid Zolan. That's, that's so sweet. Who was that, that letter from? This was Shabnam Kavokeb. Shabnam Merci. Um, that was uh, lovely, humbling, and I'm glad that interview worked for you. Uh, thank you, the fabulous Keon. You're welcome. I, you Gian. perfect as ever. Uh, Captain Reza, thank you. Groovy Shia. Can we, do we have our ending music? Yes. There it is. Remember, for all things Rook, you can go to our website, rookmedia.com, rookmedia.com. And thanks to the amazing team who put this show together constantly consistently producer susan ponta the artist thoughtful negin the fabulous keon savvy roham english muhammad captain reza and groovy shaya thank you to all of you out there who are supporting us and sharing our content please subscribe if you've not done so already you press the subscribe button it really helps us out to stay in touch with you and you can find me on instagram at gian gomeshi at rook media is where we are on all the platforms. Have a good weekend. See you Monday. Mizun Bashi. Mm-hmm.